I'm the owner of Denver Legal Marketing. I work with solo practitioners and small law firms in Colorado and beyond. My ultimate goal is to make some market space in the Colorado business community and beyond for the small law firms of the world, which are essentially small businesses. They're just small businesses. Well, that's a good start, Miranda. This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today we're incredibly fortunate. I am sitting in the dining room of the world headquarters of Denver Legal Marketing with Miranda Vieira, which we've I've struggled with the name and there's an extra Y, but that's okay. And so Miranda, thank you so much for taking time today and tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Thanks for having me, Bob. I'm excited to talk to you today. So I founded Denver Legal Marketing. My business turns three on my daughter's birthday in February of next year. I've been very lucky to be successful. I have really great clients. They are mostly, my sweet spot is solo practitioners and small law firms. I started out with a kind of a Colorado focus, a Denver focus. I'm from here and I'm looking to support my own community, but Word of my marketing firm has spread. And so, you know, at times I'm working with lawyers in New York and, you know, Nevada and California and, you know, just depending. So darn, that's such a problem. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting in doing some research before the episode, you're widely covered and known in Denver. There's a lot of press about you. Why do you think that is? I think that, that I'm a little bit unique. When it comes to what you would assume a marketing professional or somebody in Colorado legal marketing looks like. So I'm tall. I'm a tall 5'1. I am a working mom. I've been in Colorado law for 20 years. And I think that the way that I serve my clients and the types of clients that I serve is unique. Nobody else is doing this. And so the business community, especially, has taken notice. You know, for the attorney or small business owner that's listening, go, so you've decided in a niche. So for the potential client of yours and they reach out to you and before we go any further, how do they find you? Where do they find you on social media? So LinkedIn is really my only place for social media. I think that that is the easiest ROI when it comes to reaching other lawyers. And I'm trying to reach Lawyers and lawyers are playing on LinkedIn. I think about 90% of the lawyers in our country have LinkedIn profiles. So LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. The majority of my clients come through word of mouth. Like I said, I've been in law for two decades and have worked really hard to protect my reputation. I say uh, what I'm going to do and then I, I do it. And I think that that travels. So Really, they come through word of mouth. They go to my website for confirmation of reputation, and then they call. And the website's denverlegalmarketing.com. And Miranda Vieira is M-E-R-A-N-D-A-V-I-E-Y-R-A. So you can find her on LinkedIn. Well, I I had to do that to start with (laughs) because, you know, I think the fun part about these episodes is you've really niched down in your market. and. You know, we were talking before the episode about why you do what you do. And, you know, I think there's some misconceptions about attorneys and there's a difference you're trying to make in that community. So let's dig into the differences that you're making in that community. Yes. So it's a big goal. It's a lofty goal. But 
you know, when you look around and you think of lawyers and you think of law firms, you really just think of the big ones. And truth be told, the majority of the law firms in Colorado and beyond are small law firms. Most of the time they're solo practitioners. And my goal is to make market space for them. I want more people to start choosing to spend their money that they allocate for legal services by supporting small law firms, keeping their lights on, keeping our, you know, our Colorado economy booming and supporting this level of small business in that industry. You know, I think for a lot of folks, I think they don't necessarily understand the value of having a relationship with an attorney, you know, to reach out to them and and use them. Can you talk a little bit about the attorneys and how they take and develop or how you see them developing relationships with their clients? Absolutely. One of the biggest misconceptions, and I'll start here, is that you can like your attorney. There are 41,000 lawyers in Colorado, 29,000 in Wyoming. So you have lots of choices. And if you are not receiving good customer service, if somebody's not answering your email, they can't guarantee results of things, but they can guarantee that they have a nice business relationship with you, a respectful one, you can take your business elsewhere. I think that you are not stuck when it comes to, you know, legal services There are lots of options and that you can choose someone that you like to work with, that you have similar hobbies, your kids go to the same school that, that you actually, like I said, like. Let's circle back a little bit earlier on in your career. And so you've been in some of the larger law firms. How did you get your expertise and perspective on marketing for attorneys? So I was at one of the premier Colorado law firms for about 10 years. And in that position, I, you know, in a small business, small law firm, you wear lots of hats. It's just the way it goes. And so it was an amazing training ground for learning really high-end legal marketing, and then also recruiting, and then diversity and inclusiveness, and then, you know, business development, essentially, and relationship management. So I spent about a decade cutting my teeth on that in real time, you know, just kind of thrown into the deep end. And what I noticed, because I wore so many hats, and we had a unique law clerk program, I met a lot of young attorneys, you know, probably 20 a year. And when they left our law firm, not all of them went to, you know, huge law firms after law school, a lot of them went to smaller shops. And they would circle back to me and ask me, how do I, you know, Miranda, how do I get on super lawyers? Or Miranda, how do I, you know, do things because I was someone they trusted and someone they knew would always answer their phone call or their email. And they were just looking for a little bit of guidance. And I saw this hole, this gap, whatever you want to call it, an opportunity in the market. Now it's probably been about seven years, but I watched it and I wanted to make sure that that there wasn't another marketing firm out there that focused on small law firms. And I just didn't see it happening. And so I decided to take a leap almost three years ago. And I had clients before I had business cards because there's a real need for this. You know, I think about, you were talking about, I think you mentioned super lawyers. Is that Super right? lawyers, yeah. So, you know, I'm not familiar with the term. And I guess, what does that mean? And why is it important for a solo practitioner? Absolutely. So, in 2018 and 2019, we're almost there. Third-party validations matter more than ever. If you'd imagine, Bob, how many times do you look at TripAdvisor? When you go out of state or when you're somewhere, you're looking for a restaurant, where are you going to spend 30 bucks on lunch? You check TripAdvisor and check, what do other people say? 
what are the stars that, you know, the amount of stars that they give, what's their recommendation. And legal services are no different right now. People are checking third-party validations like super lawyers and, you know, 5280 has one. It's called Denver's Top Lawyers. Martindale Hubble is our oldest. It's over 100 years old. People want to know what other people are saying. So at this point, it isn't enough just to have a recommendation from somebody. People are going to go online and they're going to Google their, you know, that recommendation. And then you want to make sure if you're a solo practitioner that they Google you, they find you and that you like what they see. So that's what kind of the value of super lawyers and kind of these award and third party, you know, validation websites. And so you help them get qualified to be on the super lawyer side. You know, I do my best. A lot of people assume that it's kind of a pay to play type of thing. And it actually isn't. Super lawyers, a lot of these are peer review. I wish I could pay to get my clients on them, but I can't. At the end of the day, it's going to take a blend of being well known in the legal community, of doing good work in the legal community, of being active. And then also you have to, you know, be involved in their specific platform. Each of these has their own website and Mm -hmm. All of that jazz. So, you know, and, and I think about the absence of information. I would imagine that attorneys, when they come out of law school, aren't taught how to be recognized, how to network, and so on. So they know the law, right? But they don't know how to market, is my presumption. And that's correct. I think that there's a little bit of a gap in that regard that I think a lot of lawyers could use some help when it comes to business development and marketing and relationship building. And just at the end of the day, learning how consumers, whether that's a business or whether that's an individual, consumes legal services. What do they actually need? And, you know, one of the big things I try and help with is understanding that legal services should not be reactive. They should be proactive, you know. So this is a really base example, but hopefully you have a will before you die. (laughs) <laughs> you know, there's a plan so, for you, right? One way or another. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it is as simple as that. You know, I'm the mother of two little kids and I worry I have to have all of this stuff in line. So if something happens to me that, you know, my little girls don't have to worry and that my family doesn't have to worry. That's just one aspect of consuming legal services as an individual. I'm also a business owner. My husband and I own four businesses total. So we have lots of business attorneys for lots of different reasons. And it's not because, you know, we're knee deep in lawsuits. It's because we don't want to be, you know, so. It's really like a booster shot. Yes. You know, it's, and I think for many people, they think, well, I'll just save some money. And the challenge is it's much easier to do the preventative care Mm -hmm. than it is to fix it after it's gone south. Exactly. It's, it really is like, any other aspect of your life. You shouldn't cheap out though when it comes to legal services. It it really is something that your contracts as a business owner should be reviewed, you know, at least once a year. You need to look at the insurance aspects of your contract and make sure that not only are you covered, but how about your vendors and how about, you know, all the people that are dealing with you through subcontractor relationships. So more than anything, it, it really is just about protecting your investment, you know, your time, your employees, whatever it's going to be. And I think about how that mindset or information is transmitted. Are many attorneys comfortable and adept at setting that up where they do reviews with clients and set up annual meetings and so on? That's a hard question to answer because I think that 
there's a little bit of trouble on both sides of that coin. So I think some attorneys aren't realizing that there's proactive business to be had Mm -hmm. with their clients. And then clients are late in the game and understanding what they should be doing right out of the gate when you decide to open a business. It's a messaging problem Mm -hmm. is really how I would summarize it of, you know, everyone assumes once your business, you know, your doors are open, unless you get sued or unless something happens, you're good. And my point in all of this is that there's a way to be proactive and protective of your business. And it's through legal services. And, you know, in my ideal world, it's through the small businesses in law. So the solos and the smalls. If I'm a solo practitioner and I'm listening and I go, absolutely, I need to reach out to Miranda. So (laughs) what should that person or that attorney expect when they reach out to you via LinkedIn? So usually everyone comes in electronically. So either through email or, I mean, I get text messages, I get messaged through LinkedIn, and then we set up a call. And I want to figure out, can I help you? You know, because I mean, I I don't want to take on a client engagement where I can't be helpful. I want to figure out how serious you are about marketing your business and business development and relationship building. And usually that's about an hour. Usually it's by phone. Oftentimes when I have lawyers call from, you know, different areas of the country, then it's a follow-up in person. But yeah, usually it's just a call is really how my door opens with new lawyers. What's the typical catalyst or the reason why that attorney reaches out to you? It ranges. So it can be that the phone stops ringing. You know, it can be scary stuff like that. You know, I haven't need to market myself for two years, you know, and then all of a sudden the well is dry and they're wondering why, you know, and then I have other people that are now at a financial level where they can delegate some of this out, where they're interested in growth or expansion or, you know, just to have somebody else handle it. And then I guess I should back up. There's probably a third one where they just want somebody to ask questions about certain things, just kind of pinch it or consulting of what should I do with this? Does this award matter? I mean, attorneys are barraged by emails when it comes to awards and a lot of them are not legitimate. A lot of them won't matter. A lot of them cost a lot of money and end up being kind of junk. So they just kind of want to sift through that and pick a brain of, you know, does this matter? Should I put money or time into this? So I'm that attorney and I've reached out to you and we've agreed that I need help which I think many people would say. And so what should I expect then within the engagement? What's unique and interesting about what I do is that I am a marketing firm without a lot of marketing materials. That's intentional. I don't want to sell the same thing over and over to all the attorneys of Colorado. So I do a little bit for some lawyers and I do everything for other lawyers. I will meet with some law firms once a quarter and help them with what they need and kind of deal with bigger strategy and they handle the day-to-day. So it is a range. I'm pretty much a full-service marketing firm. The only thing I don't do is pay-per-click campaigns. I don't think that you really need legal industry experience to do that. So So in social media, what platform do you typically find the attorney's most preponderance of use is that? Yeah. So I get a lot of questions about Facebook. 
and everyone kind of comes out of the gate feeling like they should have a Facebook page and are kind of surprised when I say not all social media platforms are created equally. So what type of client do you want to connect with? Let's work there. And then backward, we'll figure out how to get there if you want to include social media in the mix. Most lawyers, pretty much all lawyers, I feel like can benefit from a LinkedIn campaign because you know 90% of lawyers have LinkedIn profiles. So to attorney referrals that are usually the warmest ones, regardless of the level that you practice at, that's where the biggest return is going to be is through LinkedIn. With the marketing approach, it would focus both on a potential direct client and also on the referral network? Yes. And so I'll get questioned on that, especially with lawyers that have a consumer-based practice, for instance. You know, maybe a criminal defense practice, DUIs, that type of stuff, that's different. And so they're feeling like that's really not going to be the place where they get a ton of new clients, you know, or a ton of business. The way I disagree with that is I say that when you're on LinkedIn, you're networking with other professionals, other lawyers, especially. And so I want on LinkedIn for other lawyers to know that you do criminal defense and you do DUI work because they are a first responder in their network for these types of issues that you may not be able to handle. But when their uncle calls and he needs, you know, someone to draft his will, they know that you handle trust in estates and they trust you and they've been seeing you post on LinkedIn. So they know that you're still active in that area. So that's kind of how even a consumer-based practice can use LinkedIn. We were talking a little bit about an event that you have upcoming. And I thought it was fascinating what you're trying to do. So do you want to chat about that? I would love to chat about that. So I am looking at doing a salon takeover. So as we discussed, you know, historically, men have gone at business development in certain ways. And we're talking golf memberships, golf, you know, games, you talk about hunting and fishing and all of that jazz. And I think it's over 50% of the people that are going into law school and coming out are women now. And the paradigm needs to change. Women are able to do business development events and marketing and, you know, relationship building in their own way. And what my salon takeover is next week is to pair up 15 women, lawyers, all in different practice areas. So everyone comes together, everyone, you know, we all get a blow dry hair treatment, not all at the same time, but everyone comes out of there with 14 people to refer business to them. And so my hope is that I continue to do these with similar groups of women throughout the year just to kind of nurture the relationship building and the referrals um, because again, the attorney to attorney referrals are the warmest and see if we can kind of just kind of change the game. I think that's fascinating. You know, clearly I could go into a salon. I need hair coloring for sure. This gray hair rinse is really not working for me. But, you know, I, I think it's a unique approach and, you know, the mastermind link up networking groups are certainly important to do. So, you know, we've chatted for a while about what you're up to and what you're doing. And now's the part of the episode where I get to ask you a series of questions. I'm ready. Perfect. Influential book or something that's been meaningful for you and your business? This is a fun one because I have been, you know, a voracious reader my entire life. And now I don't really read for fun anymore. Well, it's fun, but it's related to my business. 
But one of the neatest books I've read is The Checklist Manifesto. Are you familiar with that one? No. It's neat. So it's written by, I think his name is, his last name is Gawande. It starts with a G, but he's a high level surgeon. And basically what he's telling the world is even if you're the best, and even if you really know what you're doing and you swear you can't fail, you can write it down, break it down into small steps so you can double check yourself at every single level because surgeons can cut off the wrong arms and they can leave tools in the body. There are lots of reasons to just kind of have a safety net. And this book is smart and just saying, we're all super competent, but we're probably not as competent as our confidence thinks we are. And we're human and we make mistakes and checklists, just simple checklists are ways to prevent mistakes. So yeah, there's a lot of study behind that that supports that. Yeah. And I think about in the business arena, if you have process written down, when your business comes up for sale and they go, we want to bolt your business on, or they could say your processes are so solid, we're willing to pay a premium for your business because the process matters, part of your intangible value. Absolutely. So yeah, that's a good book. And yeah, I that it's a great one book. So if you could put an ad on page one of the local paper or yes. the local publication for attorneys sharing your message or advice, what would it say and why? Being super direct, it would be, you know, to the business owners of the world, especially, you know, small to medium sized businesses. If you do not consider yourself a stuffy corporation, I would ask you, why is your law firm? And I would ask you to take a good look at who's providing your legal services and ask, does their culture match yours? Do they have women and people of ethnic minorities working for their law firm? What's their footprint in our community? Are they giving back? What do they do? Do they sponsor events? Are they involved in pro bono? Because what I've found is that the small law firms that I work with really give back to our community. They're really doing things that matter. They keep the money here. So that's what my ad would say. Perfect. Best allocation of time or initiative that's helped you the most? I think really it's writing things down. I know that sounds pretty simple, but that has been one of the key, I would say, initiatives in my life now and in the past of I remember things and I retain things so much more when I actually write things down than when I type it. You know, I can type just as fast as anybody, but if I really want to retain it, then I write it down. I mean, you see me here with a notebook and, you know. So when you write it down. Yeah. Then what? What do you do with it? So I write it down and then I will translate it, you know, into a type format for storage. But for some reason, that act of writing down, and there's tons of statistics on why this stuff matters. But it, for me, it, it really is a game changer when I'm looking at, you know, remembering or recalling everything about my clients' law firms. I essentially have to put on my marketing hat for them, you know, when I'm talking to them. And it's easier for me if I have been writing down these things during our meetings and, and I recall it better. So I know it's kind of a weird nope. thing in this day and age. No, I do the same. <laughs> most unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you the most. I think what is kind of out of the ordinary, and maybe other people do this, but I really do believe that you should hire or work with people that know what you don't. I don't think it's possible to know everything. And we try. I know a lot about legal marketing, but do I know everything? Probably not. Especially when it comes to business ownership, I really try to hire people that know what I don't. So I don't step in it later. So I'm talking accountants, 
and business lawyers, even just people to pick the brains of that are more seasoned business owners. I think there's a lot to be learned. Spot on. I agree there. (laughs) Past three years, belief or protocol that you've established that's most impacted your success. I really do think that you can do well and do good. As much as I try to, you know, I have a for-profit business and I have to keep my lights on and all of that jazz. I also spend a tremendous amount of time in my community, the legal community, and I do a lot of pro bono work. So I took on a role with the Hispanic Bar Association and I've had a similar, less structured role with the women's bar. But I will do pro bono nominations for people of color and also women attorneys and attorneys of color to try and get more visibility to their practices. If if I know that they don't have marketing help or support, if they could really use it, I'll do this stuff for free and get them on these lists that will make a difference in their practice. What advice would you offer to a new attorney that's just starting out (laughs) with their practice? And it's a solo or a small practice. Baby lawyers. So the biggest thing would be your networking starts in law school. So I would actually roll it back before they decide to open their own business. Law school and the legal environment in general is inherently competitive. It just is. And we can't control that. What you can control is the way you behave, the way that you treat the people around you, staff, the court system, opposing counsel, the people in your office, because your relationship matters and it carries. And people really do remember, you you can be amazing a million times over, but that one time that you, you know, take out a really bad ruling or a bad day on somebody, that's really what's going to overshadow. So it would be that your networking and your relationship protection starts pretty much from day one. What's the most common misconception about what you do for law practices, if there is one? There's a funny one because when I first opened my marketing firm, it's Denver Legal Marketing. So I would get people joking about what's illegal marketing, you know? And then the other one is that, you know, that I focus on plaintiff personal injury. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions with regard to what I do, that I am responsible for commercials and billboards and, you know, kind of that more aggressive marketing that you see, because those are the lawyers that you see out there. So that's really the one that I'm constantly saying. That's actually not what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to head toward the tail end, I've got a couple of more questions. Okay. Over the past few years, what would or should you have said no to and why? Without going into specifics, I would just, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's really, it is trusting your gut. I mean, some of these things, I feel like, you know, you can tell when you're on the right path or when you are not a good fit for a client, regardless if it's your fault or their fault or whatever, but you just, it's not working out. I mean, I've had a couple of those where it just wasn't a good fit. I wasn't the right marketing firm for them and they weren't, you know, the right client for me. And I, you know, I wish I had listened to that. That advice from my gut came early and I ignore it, you know. <laughs> it's a defensive mechanism. I think so, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So for the last one, in the, in the day-to-day operation of your company as the business owner and founder, personal habit or self-talk that keeps you and the company focused? It truly is the saying that this too shall pass. You know, I have come back to that saying pretty much my entire adult life through good times, through bad times of just knowing that whatever it is, whether it's happy or it's hard, that moment is fleeting. And so 
enjoy it or just write it out because tomorrow's going to be different. Well, Miranda, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time and welcome me into your home and the world headquarters. This is the world headquarters. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. you Thanks, Bob.